All right, we are starting a new class. This is on the spiritual disciplines. It's going to be an eight-week class. The goal of the class is not to make you feel miserable because you look at your life and say, wow, my spiritual disciplines aren't where they should be. The goal of the class is to help you understand what the disciplines are and then look at where you are as your baseline and then excel still more. We're going to do eight, seven, eight different disciplines. We'll start with scripture. We'll go into memory, memorizing, meditation, prayer, things like that. We'll just do every week. I want to start just by, um, well, let me start by praying. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come together to consider the, the spiritual disciplines. We just ask that uh, you would help us to think about these things in a biblical way, to consider them, and to commit to excelling even more in them, that we would be able to grow in grace and a knowledge of you and a conformity to the image of your Son. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Okay, I want to begin not really by talking about the disciplines themselves, but kind of backing out from the disciplines and coming at this so we can have a theological perspective on why we engage in spiritual disciplines. And I want to just start by asking a rhetorical question. What is the goal of your life? It's a rhetorical question. Some people have a goal of their life to make money. Not like that guy. Their goal in life is to build wealth and to make money. Maybe it's a million dollars. Maybe it's, I just want to be able to live without working. Whatever it is, that's their goal. And to be honest, to make wealth, to be wealthy, requires a great deal of discipline and self-control to pull it off. Most people never become wealthy, and a lot of them don't become wealthy because they don't do the things wealthy people do. Dave Ramsley likes to say there's broke people, and those are people who just don't have money, and there's poor people who have poor thinking, and they do poor people stuff. And so if you give them money, they'll be broke sooner or later. And the reason I'm asking about the goal is because Dr. Stephen Covey said one time, you begin with the end in mind. If you go into the spiritual disciplines with the wrong goal, the wrong objective, you're not going to get what you're looking for. These people start off with a goal. Their goal is to make money. And so they discipline their lives to accomplish that goal. They control how much they spend. They say no to their desires when they go to the store. If they get a little cash in the bank, they don't go buy a brand new Mercedes. They're disciplined in everything they do so they can obtain that one goal. There are other people who have a goal. It's not to make money. It's to get medals. Their goal is to be Olympians. I was listening to one Olympian recently who said that when she told her coach she wanted to go to the Olympics, her coach had the gift of encouragement and said, you know, that's, you have the odds of winning the lottery. It's the same as getting into the Olympics. And to her credit, she responded to her coach, well, it looks like I'm going to go win the lottery. Her goal was to be an Olympian. And she was willing to devote herself and discipline herself to the task of getting into the Olympics. Which means she has to change her diet. She has to spend every day focusing on what she eats, what she doesn't eat, exercising, training. Everything is going to be devoted to this one task. 
even in Paul's day, becoming an, an athlete and competing in the games, what their version of the Olympics, would have required a great amount of discipline and self-control. And Paul actually uses the games and the Olympics as a metaphor for the human or for the Christian life. Here's what he says. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Back in their day, there wasn't a second and third place. It was just you either won or you lost. And he's not here just talking about winning in a game. But he's talking about the Christian life. If you're going to be in the Christian life, if you're going to live the Christian life, live it to win it. Go all out. Do everything that's required. Run to win. And he says, well, if you're going to play this game, if you're going to be in the game of the Christian life, you also need to understand something. Just like when you go into the Olympics, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. The life of a wannabe Olympian is filled with self-control, discipline. The life of a Christian is filled with self-control and discipline. But then he makes a distinction between the Olympian and the Christian. The Olympian competes for a perishable wreath. They do all this work, they go through all this effort, they spend years and years and years training and doing all this discipline so one day they can stand up there with a little wreath on their head that's going to disappear in just a few years. And Paul says, that's not us. We're not like the Olympians because we don't compete for a perishable wreath. We're competing for an imperishable wreath. Peter calls it a crown of unfading glory. If you want to be an Olympian, you have to discipline your body. You have to be self-controlled in everything that you do. Paul says there's benefit there for bodily discipline as of a little profit. You spend your life exercising, disciplining your body, eating right, you'll get in shape and you'll have good results. If you don't do that, you'll be a different shape. But if you want to be in the Christian life, you don't discipline yourself to win a game. You don't discipline yourself to be in physical shape. You discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Because unlike physical discipline... Godliness isn't short-term. Paul says godliness is profitable for all, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You're not competing for a wreath that's going to vanish one day. The rewards of godliness don't stop at the end of the ceremony. They have value, it has value, now and in eternity. So, let's go back to my original question. What's the goal of your life? What's the goal of the Christian life? Where are we going? What's the purpose of all of this? The purpose is that we would be godly. That you would discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Okay, so that leads to the question. 
What's godliness? If I'm supposed to discipline myself for the purpose of godliness, how do I understand what godliness is? Paul's term that he uses refers to an awesome respect. Wow. Divine providence. Okay. Refers to an awesome respect accorded to God. You might say the fear of God, a reverence of God, being in awe of God. Donald Whitney wrote this little book. It's called Spiritual Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, and I'm going to be using this quite a bit today. It's very helpful, and he's got a great definition of godliness. I want you to hear. Here's how he defines godliness. Godliness is both closeness to Christ and conformity to Christ. A conformity that's both inward and outward. A growing conformity to both the heart of Christ and the life of Christ. To be godly means that you are going to be close to Christ. You will have an intimate relationship with Christ. It means that you will be conformed to Christ, and this conformity to Christ has two different parts, inward and outward. Inward, both you're conformed in your heart, in your mind, in your desires. They are like Christ. And outward in your behavior. To be godly means to be Christ-like. This is the whole purpose of salvation. This was the reason you were predestined. You were predestined for the purpose of being like Christ. Romans 8.29 For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. The whole purpose of the Christian life is that you and I would be like Christ. And there's a promise attached to this. 1 John 3, 2 says, We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. But if there's a promise, if God says, I've predestined you to do this, I'm promising you when when Jesus comes back, you'll see him and you will be like him. Why do I need to discipline myself? Why do I need to go through all this? Because of verses like this one. Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Those who have been truly predestined will be growing in holiness. They will be growing in Christ-likeness throughout their lives. Holiness is the qualification for seeing Christ. 1 John 3.3 And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. A fruit of true and saving faith is a life that is growing in godliness. But it's not you and I who cause the growth. God causes the growth. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. It is God who causes the growth and it is God who gives you the strength to grow. Uh, Colossians 1.29, For this person I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. Growth is given by God, and the work and the effort is empowered by God. He gives you the strength to will and to work. 
we're not athletes. We don't discipline our body so we can get a wreath, so we can stand on a podium. We discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now here's the question. How do I grow in godliness? What are the practical means by which you can grow in Christ-likeness? What tools has God given you to grow in holiness? If the goal of the Christian life is to be like Christ, and that requires that we do something, what is it? Answer. Your spiritual disciplines. These are the tools, the means that God has given for you and I to grow in holiness, in Christ-likeness. So let's talk a little bit about what spiritual disciplines are and what they are not. Spiritual disciplines are both personal and interpersonal. Every spiritual, well, most of the spiritual disciplines you can do by yourself and you do with other people. Take, for example, Bible reading. You read the Bible by yourself, but you also come to church and you read the Bible here at church. Prayer, same thing. You pray by yourself, and you come to church, and you pray with the body. Worship. You should have a time of worship at home. But you also come in to worship with other saints. You need both sides of that coin. You need the personal side of it, and you need the corporate side of it. Spiritual disciplines are to be practiced personally and interpersonally with other people. This is modeled for us by Jesus. He is our example. And I'll just point out to you the, the, uh, the discipline of prayer. Jesus modeled prayer with his disciples, but he also modeled prayer by himself. Jesus went alone to pray. He prayed with people. He prayed for people. He prayed around people. But he also broke away and spent time alone and prayed. And in fact, Luke says this was his custom. This was normal for him to spend time alone in prayer, engaging in the spiritual disciplines. The question is, is it normal for us? Secondly, spiritual disciplines are activities. They're not a character quality. When we talk about the spiritual disciplines, we're not talking about some aspect of your character. We're not talking about some aspect of grace that God has given. Nor are these the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever heard someone say this? Well, I would pray as much as that person does, but I'm not gifted that way. Or that person has a special gift from God to be in the Word so much. And what they're essentially saying is, the reason I don't engage in the spiritual disciplines is because God hasn't given me what he's given that person so I shouldn't have to do it. But the spiritual disciplines are not a fruit of the Spirit. They're not a gift. They are something that you do. They are activities to be done. They are things that you are to intentionally go do. Donald Whitney again said, the goal of practicing a given discipline, of course, is not about doing as much as, as it is about being. That is, being like Jesus but the biblical way to grow in being more like Jesus is through rightly motivated 
doing of the biblical spiritual disciplines. Growth and godliness is the result of the Spirit's work in you and the things that you do. He finishes, the God-given path to godliness is through the spiritual disciplines. The disciplines are something that we are to be doing. Thirdly, spiritual disciplines are biblical. There are a lot of religions that advocate some kind of activity for you to do to grow in your godliness. There are a lot of activities that say, there are a lot of religions that say, these are things you must be doing. You need to go through sacraments. You need to go through this. You need to go through that. They espouse other means, but these are not the correct ones. The means that we are to use are the ones that come from Scripture. Got ahead here. Okay. Fourth, spiritual disciplines are sufficient for knowing and experiencing God and for growing in Christ-likeness. So this kind of builds off the previous one. Spiritual disciplines are biblical. They come from Scripture. But we need to understand something about Scripture. Scripture is inspired by God. It is completely sufficient for equipping you for the Christian life and helping you grow. Therefore, the disciplines that it gives are sufficient for you to not only know God, but for you to experience God and for you to grow in godliness. We shouldn't be looking for something outside of what Scripture has given us. Scripture has given us the disciplines to grow. God has given it to us through Scripture. And those are the ones we should focus our efforts and our attention upon. Fifth, spiritual disciplines are derived from the gospel, not divorced from the gospel. Some people have this idea that the gospel is just the entry point into Christianity. Once you become a Christian, you don't need the gospel anymore. You can just set that aside, and now you need to go and find some really super spiritual stuff to go do. True spiritual disciplines point you back to the gospel. It makes the gospel more glorious, more wonderful, and is always connected to the gospel, to the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. That remains the center of all spiritual disciplines. And the final characteristic here, spiritual disciplines are means, not ends. The end of spiritual disciplines is not that you're proficient in them. That's not the goal. The goal is not for you to be proficient in one of the disciplines. The end is not that you would know the Bible better than everybody else. The goal is not that you would pray better or longer than everybody else. The spiritual disciplines are not an end to themselves. The goal of the spiritual disciplines is not for you to get to the point where you're reading your Bible every day, even though that's a good goal. The goal is not for you to be reading so many chapters a day. They are a means to an end. The goal is Christ-likeness. And the disciplines are the means by which the Holy Spirit conforms you to the image of Christ. Does that make sense? Any questions? Comments? No? Okay. So what happens when we continually neglect? Oh my goodness. All right, we're not doing this anymore. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, it's my fault. 
Okay. I need a lock. Thanks, sir. Okay. <laughs> now that I'm done with technology. So, what happens when we continually neglect the disciplines? There's a lot of reasons people neglect the disciplines. One of the biggest problems with neglecting the disciplines is that it's an evidence that you're not saved. We're not talking about, well, I missed it a couple days. I'm talking about people who just have no desire, no longing, no effort, nothing. Just they don't do it at all. Donald Whitney again, he has a great quote on this. To them, those who neglect the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines are tedious religious duties to be endured as little as conscience or reputation will allow, not a banquet of God on which their famished souls long to feed as much as possible. Now, I realize that at some point, people all feel like this is tedious. And that at some point, everyone wakes up and goes, you know, I really don't want to go read the Bible right now. But what he's talking about here are people who have no desire for the word, no desire to grow in Christ-likeness, no desire for prayer at all. And they do them only because what I'm supposed to do. And I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to. I think Christians can get to that point when they have the wrong goal in their disciplines. They go to the Bible reading, not so they can be like Christ, but so they can check the little box and say, hey, I finished my Bible reading today. Or they can pat themselves on the back and say, well, I spent time in prayer today. But that's not the goal of the discipline. The discipline's goal is not for you to just do something. The goal is for you to be like someone. Okay. Questions, comments, concerns, confusion? Okay. Let's talk about the very first one. Taking in Scripture. Charles Spurgeon used to say, a person who doesn't read their Bible isn't growing in grace. Donald Whitney in his little book says that this is the most important of all the disciplines, that there is no replacement for this one discipline, taking in Scripture. And there's two ways that you should be doing this, hearing it and reading it. You should be hearing the word of God. When you look at what Jesus said to people, especially what he said uh, throughout his sermons, Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed are those who hear the word and observe it. Now, this is a specific kind of hearing. This is not, I'm just going to let it run through my ears and think that's going to change something. It's listening to the word of God with the intention and purpose of obeying the word of God of being conformed to the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Yes, this is talking about coming to saving faith, but again, the emphasis is on hearing, listening to it. 
and listening with the purpose of being obedient. 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Have you ever been in church and pastor stands up to read Scripture and he starts reading? And he's reading a passage you've read a hundred times? And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I've never heard that. Because he read it differently. You're like, oh, that comma is important. And he inflected something differently or he just paused differently and means something completely different now because you had it wrong the whole time. Just from hearing the word of God, just having someone read it. So what are some ways that you can hear the word? Okay, some of these are obvious. What what are some ways you can hear the word of God? Well, you can come to church. That's the obvious one, right? You can come to church. You can go to Bible study. These are easy ways to hear the word of God, which is if your goal is to hear it as much as possible, that means coming to church, coming to the Bible studies. Really good idea. The last one is one I really want to talk about. The use of technology. You live in the 21st century. If ever there was a generation that has no excuse for not hearing the word of God, it's us. We have more access to technology than anyone in history and more access to teaching and the reading of Scripture than anyone in history. So what are some ways you can do this? The first one is you can go to some, a place like Audible, and you can actually purchase an audio Bible. Now, I've done this, and there's good sides to this, and there's bad sides to this. When you go to Audible, see if I can pull it up here, and you select the Bible, you you purchase the Bible, they give you this list, and it's part one, part two, part three, part four, part five. They don't tell you what book is in each part. They don't tell you what chapter you're in. They don't tell you where one book ends and one, where one book finishes, and there's no way you, for you to find out other than just going through it. So that's a downside. So if you're looking for a specific book, buying an audiobook like this on Audible or iTunes might be a little bit harder to do. But there is another app that I really like. It's called Dwell. And I was trying to find a way to show this on the screen. So I'm going to play it so you can hear it. But Audible, excuse me, Dwell. It's a free download. You can download it for free on uh, iPhone. I'm pretty sure on the other phones. What are they? Android. Okay. PlayStation, there you go. Um, most of the basic features are available for free. They do have a subscription. It's $29 a year. Okay. Here's what I like about it. You can go in and you can select Old Testament or New Testament, and you can pick the book that you want. And then when you select the book, it gives you all the chapters listed. And so you just find the chapter that you would like to study and you go start listening to it. Um, so we're in, this is Genesis. Someone give me a chapter out of Genesis. What chapter do you want? Chapter 1. Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Now, if you... And darkness was over the face of 
if you think he reads slow, and the because he does, God was over the face of the waters, and you can God speed him up. Enough, I can get it to work. And then you can have music in the background if you want. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let okay. it the water. I don't know. Could you guys hear that? Okay. You couldn't hear the music. You can select what kind of music you want in the background. You can change the volume of the music. You can change the speed of the eye speaking. You can change the voice in which he speaks. You can have a female voice if you want. The dwell lab. You can listen to the Bible anywhere you go, and you can pick and choose. Which, which book you want and what verse you want, and you can start listening. I really like the Dwell app. Hang on. What's going on here? Technology's killing me today. Okay, here we go. Okay? The nice thing about that technology and using technology to hear the Bible is that you can listen to the Bible anytime you want during just about any activity that you want. And these are just some I was brainstorming last night. Anytime you want. Anywhere you want. If you've got a 45-minute drive to work every morning, you've got a lot of time you can listen to some scripture. The Dwell app will also pause. So if you're going through one of the epistles, you could tell it to read a verse and then pause so you can think on the verse for a little while. Anytime you want, you can read. Now, I have some numbers here that are kind of depressing. Barna did a survey in, of self-claiming born-again Christians. These are people who identify as born-again Christians. And they just asked them, how often do you read your Bible? 18%. Said they read their Bible every day. This one, the next one's kind of scary. 23% of so called born again Christians never read the Bible. We've talked about hearing the word, we're going to talk about reading it. When Jesus spoke to people, he just assumed. When he spoke to religious leaders, he just assumed they were reading and they knew the word. He said, have you not read? Like, guys, I wrote it down for you. All you have to do is read it. Have you not read? You can't become like a God that you don't know. You can't obey a law that you don't know. And you can't know it if you aren't reading it and listening to it. Scripture, if you want some encouragement to go read, Scripture is the means by which you grow. Peter said, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Babies don't grow if you don't feed them. Children don't grow if you don't feed them. But there are Christians who think that they can grow in the Christian life and never feed on the Word of God. They never go to it. Or they think that they can grow by eating once a week. I'm pretty sure no one in this room eats once a week, like literally eats once a week. 
There are some people who get all their Bible on Sunday and then throughout the rest of the week, they're like, well, I'm good because I write on Sunday. Scripture is the means by which you can grow in wisdom. Psalm 19.7, the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. If you want to grow in godliness, if you want to grow in wisdom, you've got to be reading the Word of God. So what are some practical tips? Practical tips for reading the Bible. What's the number one excuse people give for not reading the Bible? Time, too tired, yeah. Time. A lot of, well, I'll say it this way. If you see me make a post on Facebook, you know what you know? I've got time to read the Bible. If you see me come in and you say, well, did you eat breakfast or lunch today? I tell you, yeah. I've got time to read the Bible. The difference for most people is not the number of hours in the day. We all only get 24. And eight, roughly eight of those, you're going to spend sleeping. The difference between the people who read their Bible and the people who don't is not how much time they have. It's that some people make time. They schedule it. They plan it. They have a time set aside every day. Whether that's early in the morning or late at night or in the middle of the day, they have a set time where they have built a habit of, it's 7 o'clock, I'm going to read the Bible. That's my time. This has to be intentional. You're not going to accidentally start making time to read the Word of God. And the more it's habit, the less likely you are to at that time say, uh, I got something else to do. It has to be intentional, and this requires that you be disciplined in scheduling and then keeping that time. Don't give yourself an alternative. At that time, the TV turns off, the phone gets turned off, everything else shuts down, and you go and you're in the Word. Now, just an encouragement here. Because some people say, even after that, well, yeah, I, I can make time, but I'm only going to get a few minutes every day. You know, they did a study, and they found out that the average reader can read through the entire Bible. How long do you think it takes the average reader to go through the entire Bible? How many hours? Give me a guess. 30. Anyone thinks it takes longer than that? What do you think? 110. I heard someone else. 26? Very precise. <laughs> the average, 71 hours. 71 hours. To put that in perspective, that's about as much time as the average American spends watching television every month. So if the average American just gave up television and replaced it with Bible reading, they would read their Bible cover to cover one time every month. Now take that and just think about how much time you spend doing other stuff. How much time did you spend on social media this past week alone? Some people said zero. <laughs> Good for you. 
How much time did you spend doing other stuff? Now, pick your priorities. What's the priority? If your goal is just to check a box, scripture reading will never be the priority. But if your goal is to be Christ-like, scripture reading will be a priority. You'll make it a priority. Second tip. Use a Bible reading plan. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a ton of these. Okay? And I don't have all of them in the presentation. So if I don't have the one that you really like, you can tell us about it. Okay? But you need to think this through before you pick one. Bible reading plans. Somebody has the drill app. <laughs> Bible reading plans. Um, if you pick the wrong one, it, it's going to hurt. Some tips on picking Bible reading plans. Be practical and be humble when you're choosing a Bible reading plan. If you look at your day and you say, well, I'm only going to be able to pull aside 15 minutes, and that's where you're starting, don't pick a Bible reading plan that has you reading 10, 15, 20 chapters. You're not going to make it. Choose the Bible reading plan according to what you can actually do. Secondly, be humble about it. If you're going from reading every now and then throughout the week, and you're going to start trying to read every day, pick a small reading plan, one or two chapters per day. So I said, establish a baseline of where you are, and then try to excel from there. Don't try to be an Olympian today. Pick a plan based on where you are. Be humble about it and be practical. So let's look at some of the Bible reading plans. Straight through the Bible in a year. You're going to read three to four chapters per day. You're going to start in Genesis. You'll end in Revelation. And you'll read the Old and New Testament once on both of them, on this plan, throughout the year. So if you start in January, you'll get to December and you'll be in Revelation. You'll be done. The good part about this is it's only three to four chapters. And you get the entire Bible in a year. The bad part about this, well, the other good thing is that this is a very simple plan to follow. You have one little bookmark, and you just work your way through the Bible. There is a downside to this. When I did this Bible reading plan, I got to, like, the beginning of Chronicles, where it's seven chapters of genealogies. And that's just a very tough couple of days. Or parts of Leviticus, where, you know, all the different tribes are bringing their gift, and it's the same gift and then he repeats it for every single tribe. Those are some rough days. So that is a downside of this. There are some parts of Scripture that, you know, they're not real exciting to read. And in this plan, you're just going to be hitting them one after the other, okay? But it's an easy plan, and everyone needs to read through the Bible at least once. Anybody use this? Well, we've got a couple, okay. There's a two-year plan. Again, you're reading three to five chapters a day. You start in Genesis, you end in Revelation, but every day you're going to read a chapter out of either Psalms or Proverbs. So by the end of the year, when you finish this, at the end of the two-year plan, excuse me, you'll have read the Old Testament once, the New Testament once, Psalms and Proverbs four times. One of the nice things about doing a plan like this is, one, it slows you down. Two, it gets you to reading something other than the same thing every day. You're not in Genesis every single day and then Exodus every single day. 
you get to jump over to the Psalms or Proverbs and get a little refresher. All right. I know some people in the, here use this one. Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. Who uses this one? One? That's it? Okay. So you have it. Has anyone else used this before? A little bit? Robert Murray McShane was a pastor in the 19th century. And he, this is the plan that he developed for himself. You read, again, three to five chapters per day. Two of them are from the Old Testament, one chapter from the New Testament. So you get a little diversity in your reading. By the time you finish this one-year plan, you'll have read the Old Testament once, the New Testament and the Psalms twice. And it's three to five chapters per day. This was instrumental for McShane. I think I heard Steve Lawson say that his Bible reading plan was the reason that McShane grew so quickly and so rapidly at a young age because he was just always in the Word. All right, this last one. This is the Professor Grant Horner's Bible reading system. How many of you have heard of this before? How many of you have used it? <laughs> Halfway. A modified version. This one you read 10 chapters per day. This is not the normal Bible reading plan where you can print out this little chart and you can just go through and check a box. You actually read 10 chapters a day from 10 different books. And so you actually have like 10 different bookmarks in your Bible so you can keep track of where you are. And each bookmark has a list of books on it. And as you finish one book, you just go to the next one on that list. And you do that for all 10 lists. He developed this Bible reading plan not so you can stop and meditate, but just so you can take in as much scripture as possible. That was the whole point of this Bible reading plan. Just take it in. Get the big picture. By the time you get through one year, you'll have read the Gospels four times, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, five, twice, Paul's letters uh, uh, four to five times, the Old Testament wisdom literature six times, the Psalms at least twice, Proverbs and Acts a dozen times, and the Old Testament history and prophetic books about one and a half times. I did this plan for a little while. I was like autumn. I was halfway and it took me about 20 to 30 minutes each day to read through the 10 chapters. That's fast, yeah. Now, now, that's on average. Some days, you know, you get Psalm 119 on your list, and it's going to take you a little bit longer. But, yeah, you're going to read a lot. Okay, what is that? What what schedule is it? Okay. That the McShane. Yeah, you can find Bible reading plans. That's great. You can find Bible reading plans in a lot of different places. We used to have a link on our website for Bible reading plans, and I didn't see it on there. 
I got this one from Ligonier. If you just Google Bible reading plans Ligonier, they've got a whole list of Bible reading plans along with the PDF schedules, so you can download them and pick one of your choosing. Check. <laughs> All right. Anyone else have a Bible reading plan that you like? Has anyone developed their own? No one's ever developed their own? The chronological? Okay. Yeah, the chronological is in the order. It's the order that the books were written or the events that happened. The events that happened, okay. Um, but that's, that's the canonical. That's what I'm thinking. awesome. That uh, reminds me of MacArthur. He's got this little book, How to Study the Bible. And in the opening chapter, he says the first step to studying the Bible is reading the Bible. And he talked about when he was either in seminary or first starting his ministry, he wanted to know the New Testament. So he read every passage 30 times. And so he would go into like 1 John, and since it's only a few chapters, he read the whole thing one time every day for 30 days. And then he went into the Gospel of John, and he broke it up into sections of seven or eight chapters. And he read the, that seven for 30 days straight. And he did that all the way through the New Testament. While he's doing it, he's just making a little outline of each section. And he said, even to this day, 50 years later, he remembers passages because of that, that exercise. And it's about two and a half years, and you'll get through the entire New Testament if you just stay at it. Anyone else? Uh, I heard someone say a book a day. Okay. New Testament, yes. Old Testament, that gets a little harder. <laughs> any, any other? It, it's nice, too, because you can get those reader's Bibles where it's more like a letter, the way it was intended to read. So, like, sometimes you can get to read St. Corinthians. I know they have to stop. I've, you know, I've read enough. But it, if you don't have that, that marker there of one, Yeah, so he's talking about a reader's Bible where they, they take out the uh, the subtitles and all the, the verse numbers and the chapter numbers, and you just read it straight through like a story. Um, so that could be helpful. Okay, any other Bible reading plans you like? And you can make a Bible reading plan. You don't have to follow one of these. I've done one where you just read through the New Testament. I think you read through the New Testament six times a year. Mm -hmm. and, and the one on Paul's letters where it harmonizes everything. 
Uh, he's talking about uh, one perfect life where it harmonizes all the, the, the Gospels together. Um, so you can use those, too. That's a great one. Uh, Autumn's talking about read through the Bible in 90 days. I think you can just Google it, and it'll give you the schedule. And so if you just want to have a 90-day period where you're just in the Word, what is that, like 20 chapters a day, something like that? That's still part of the spiritual disciplines, listening, yeah. What'd you say, Greg? I said about 15 chapters a day. 15 chapters a day, okay. I Right. I like it. Yeah. Right. I was. I. Um, God laid on my heart um, this last year, well, a year ago, to start something, and um, I really. It's so it's not just about me, right? It's um, you know people around you where you ask them, "Have you read the Bible?" And they're like, "Oh, no, I'm just a busy or I'm getting the email." You, they, they know the gospel. You tell them the gospel, but at the same time, they're like, "Okay, I'm getting ready to go through it." Sometimes they need people to put those markers and hold them accountable. So what I started up was a, a daily Bible reading. And so what you do is you find, um, and it grows over time because you'll be like, oh, don't worry. You know, somebody you meet, hey, I can put you on my Bible reading. And if you have any questions about the, the, the chapter or anything like that, just go ahead and put in the text or any thoughts yourself. And then we can discuss those through text. So over the last year, it's grown to 19 people and now it's over you know top 20 and it's nice because you can go chapter by chapter um, or if you're in the New Testament you can go parentheses by parentheses or paragraph by paragraph and you can like Genesis 14 and I'm like Michael why have you never preached on Genesis 14 I mean I'm blown away the more you know I'm studying it trying to like about that uh, to those people, those group of people. So it's not just going out to you, it's going out also to 19 or 20 other people or five or whoever and you just work book by book. That word, that word does not return void. So you can just continue to say, wow, and 
gave him these people. It's amazing how they'll, they'll come back or they'll, they'll call you up and say, you know, well, I was having a struggle. I know I was involved, but you're the one sending me these texts. And you can also put, like, a fun, like, picture, like one of their memes on it. Like, you know, maybe it's Walking saying something or whatever or something, a nice photo. or So you can go ahead and post one of those along with it, too. So it's more than just text sometimes. You know, for the outside world, they need to gravitate around more than just, you know, text. You're used to the text, yeah. but they're, they, they, if they see a good picture that they can quote, it really even puts better traction there or so really good traction there. You're talking about inter- reading the Bible with other people, but they're not necessarily sitting there with you. Yeah, so even okay. if they don't yeah. read that chapter, then, hey, at least they're reading your text on the chapter, and maybe they're like, hey, wait, this is important, and you're at least like preaching the gospel through that, and yeah. you're hearing it day after day after day in different themes and different uh, you know, narratives of text that's coming through that you can... So, so you've, actually mi- you've actually mixed like the first part of the discipline of hearing it, the second part of it is interpersonal and it's personal. So you've got all, all of it mixed together. I like it. Um, I, I, I want to go back to what Greg was saying about pausing for a little bit because I planted Greg in that question because my next point was pick out a key word, phrase, or verse to med- meditate on it each day. This is one of the reasons you want to be very practical in, and humble in how you deal with it because of what Greg was saying. If you pick something that's going to take up all of your time, you're going to end up getting that burn where you're like, I don't feel like I'm ever stopping to just think on and meditate on it. And we're going to talk about meditation next week. But, I mean, how many times have you gone in, you've read the Bible, you've spent time in the Word, and 10 minutes later you're like, what did I read? Someone asks you, hey, what did you read today out of the Bible? And you're like... It's because you've read through it really fast and you didn't take the time um, to sit and think on it. If you forget, you likely won't change. But I left out a word in that. Yeah, you likely change. No, that's wrong. Okay, so take a few moments, stop, think about what you're reading, and just pick a part of it. If you're in the epistles, they're, I mean, they're really rich. You're in the Psalms, Proverbs are really rich. Pick something you want to think on and spend a few moments, write down what you've gained from it. If you're in the Old Testament and you're in a narrative, what's the big idea? Why did he tell me this story? What does this tell me about God? And just think on the text for a few minutes and let that be a part of it. And then next week we'll talk a little bit more about meditation. All right. Questions, comments, gripes, moans, groans, complaints. I'll take it all. There you go. Yeah. Look for gold. Look for uh, the good, look for golden, I call them golden nuggets. Yeah. Look for good stuff. Yes, sir. I was bombarded with Christian books, even though they're Christian. And I'm like, oh, I read all of these things. And one elder came by, and I thanked him for his words. He said, Tom, Tom, put, put them down just for a second and hear me out. And he said, uh, and I said, well, how do you do it? How do you read all these books and read the Bible? I do is a self-discipline, and I'm not saying every case, but he really says, 
I'm not allowed to read anything else unless I read the Bible. So if I read the Bible for two hours, now I'm allowed to read some other books for an hour. If I read the Bible for three hours, you know, I'm only allowed to read other books for an hour and a half. And you know, you, of course, the same can be factored in if you want to use television for your kids or uh, yeah. whatnot. But that was, I thought that was a very helpful way in this godly manner yeah. um, where you can really pursue you have a lot of freedom to to do this and to discipline yourself and to create this in a way that works best for you. So if making a rule like that, I have to read the Bible so much time before I can go do something else, if that works, do it. Um, I've heard some people say, well, I don't, I'm not allowed to eat breakfast until I've finished my Bible reading. That's a good motivating reason to go read your Bible. If you're not allowed to eat breakfast until you read, well, if that works, do it. So, all right. I think we're out of time here. Let's close in prayer real quick. Father, again, we just say thank you for this time, this opportunity to think on and to discuss the spiritual disciplines. Uh, we, we don't intend to heap condemnation on anybody or make anyone feel um, that they're somehow failing, but we do want to encourage everyone to excel still more. Uh, we can all grow in our discipline. We can all grow in our self-control, and we certainly all need to grow in our Christ-likeness. And so we just ask that throughout this next week, that you would help us to commit to spending more time, to being uh, intentional in spending time in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.